0: This is Making Contact. I'm Jasmine Lopez. Imprisonment, oppressive laws, and harassment of journalists. These are just a few means of censorship used by governments around the world.
1: Keep press. Relax. Relax. Tranquilo. Gustavo Rili Sarraga, photographer independiente. They're taking me because I was recording. The
0: use of these repressive tactics threaten freedom of expression and the public's right to information. In more extreme cases, the disappearance and murder of journalists are used to instill fear. In the past 10 years, over 370 journalists were murdered in direct retaliation for their work. In 90% of those cases, there were no convictions. In today's show, we'll hear from the Committee to Protect Journalists about the world's 10 most censored countries. We'll also go to Mexico, where human rights organization Article 19 is documenting several cases of violence against journalists. But first, reporter Roxandra Guidi brings us a story from Quito, Ecuador, where the country's restrictive communication law is aiming to reform what makes the news and how media operates.
2: William Morocho, a page designer with Diario Hoy, gives a tour of the empty room where the printing press sits idle.
3: This press is considered old by today's standards, but in its heyday, it was the best and it was always running.
2: Earlier this summer, the last daily edition came out with this headline OI closes one chapter and starts another. This meant OI would scale back to a weekend printed edition while beefing up its online presence. But less than two months later, Diario OI shut down completely. $4.2 $4.2 million in the red. El impres, de la que hoy fue Much like newspapers de in Europe and the Ecuador United incluyó. States, Diario Hoy appears to be a victim of dwindling advertising and publication revenue and lower print readership numbers. But sitting in his old office back in June, newspaper director Jaime Mantilla laid the blame solely on the Ecuadorian government and its year-old Ley de Comunicación. La Ley de
1: Comunicación es una ley
3: The communications law is terribly restrictive to not only journalists, but also to the rights of their audience. It's been presented as a way for people to gain access to the media, but that's not true. The law basically does away with freedom of the press in Ecuador.
2: The law consists of 109 rules meant to promote a good press and to defend the public's right to know by monitoring tabloids, issuing fines on the publication of sexist and racist content, as well as establishing media ownership limits in minimum wages for journalists.
1: Manera,
3: conjunto, conjunto,
2: President Rafael Correa tears visita, up a copy of Fiscal Fiscal. the newspaper Hora no during Fiscal. his weekly TV and radio yo, broadcast. 8-7. Correa has been a champion of the law, the saying that the media Ecuador in Ecuador is too powerful the is to and corrupt in its reform. Since coming into office in 2007, Correa has accused Ecuadorian media outlets of openly criticizing his government and refusing to report news objectively.
4: prensa prensa madurar
2: After his return from an official visit to Chile, President Correa publicly attacked four newspapers, including Diario Hoy, for failing to cover his Chile trip in depth. But journalists here have been vocally opposed to the law, saying it's a tool for censorship and allows for President Rafael Correa to go after his political enemies. At least three daily newspapers with major circulation in Ecuador have been hit with lawsuits and fines in the past couple of years. President Correa himself sued the daily El Universo for an opinion column focused on a protest by Ecuadorian police, which he called offensive and defamatory. The lawsuit against El Comercio is over a story about the personal financial wealth of Ecuador's central bank president. And most recently, Diario La Hora was fined for allegedly editorializing about a criminal case before a judge,
1: investigation
3: Mantilla
2: also complains about numerous fines and lawsuits against his paper. Private investors and banks have been wary to give money to the AriOi since the law was passed, he says. So far, the AriOi is the only one to close operations altogether. It's a bold statement to say the least, that OI pretends to blame the law for the failed administration of the paper. That's what led to the end of its printed edition. Carlos Ocho Hernández, head of the state agency Supercom, an enforcer of the media law, says the problems at Diario Hoy were not due to the law, but to poor management. And the fact is that Diario Hoy's advertising sales fell by more than a half between 2007 and 2013, a financial reality that's affecting other outlets too.
4: In Ecuador, the case
2: of Oi is probably a a sort of a mixed bag. Rosenthal Alves is director of the Knight Center for Journalism in the Americas at the University of Texas in Austin, where he monitors press freedoms across Latin America. He sees a direct correlation between the economic troubles of many of Ecuador's newspapers and its year-old communications law.
4: Because it is clear that the government has a war against private media in the country, and it's an obsessive policy of President Correa. And of course, uh, Oi has been victimized by that.
2: Before our interview starts, an assistant brings a copy of the Communications Law booklet to Rumen Jurado. He's one of the architects of the law, and now a consultant with Supercom.
1: You'd think the law was the worst insult that the government could have made towards traditional media outlets
4: in Ecuador. They weren't used to any kinds of control. They were
2: omnipotent. The way he sees it, the media in Ecuador would often publish offensive and inaccurate content. So the law was designed to keep outlets in check, He cites the case of a newspaper known for its sexist content.
4: There's a newspaper that once published a cover with a picture of a woman in an explicitly sexual position. Now, does this cover really express freedom of speech or contribute to our democratic ideals?
2: It would be difficult to make the case that the sexist and racist content published in any country is necessary to build its democracy. But freedom of speech is synonymous with democratic governments. Is it the Ecuadorian government's job to regulate the media, including tabloids? There were at least 125 complaints, fines, and lawsuits filed against private Ecuadorian media in the first year after the law was passed. The showdown between journalists and the government is not likely to slow down. Correa's government is now pushing for the communications law to be adopted straight into Ecuador's constitution. In Quito, I'm Ruxandra Guidi.
0: In Mexico City, traditional newsstands are sprinkled throughout neighborhood corners and metro train station stops like this one. Magazines, tabloids, and newspapers are stacked one on top of the other. Newspapers whose writers and photographers often risk their lives to bring information to the public. From 2000 to date, 83 journalists have been murdered in Mexico. The organization Article 19 has worked in Mexico since 2006 to protect and promote the right to freedom of expression and access to information. They've been documenting the deterioration of these rights and a rise in violence against the press. In 2014, they counted 326 attacks on journalists, making it one of the most violent years in recent history. 49% of attacks against the press in Mexico are carried out or ordered by public officials. And despite increased international attention to the murder of journalists, the government has failed to take action or reduce the high rates of targeted violence and impunity. Just two years into President Enrique Peña Nieto's administration, 10 journalists have been killed in possible retaliation to their work. Four have disappeared, and the crimes remain unpunished. Making Contact had the opportunity to interview Article 19's Officer of Alternative Media and Gender Issues, Marcela Zendejas, and joined the group as they produced the documentary Estado de Censura, State of Censorship.
5: Well, the documentary focuses on, on several emblematic cases uh, that happened last year or... Yeah, most of them happened last year and they have to do with aggressions against journalists. These journalists live in several different parts of Mexico because the violence also depends on when you're at, where you work in and where you're at. There are are whole regions of Mexico that have been silenced because of the violence. So they choose not to report, they choose not to be journalists anymore because of the cruel uh, panorama and the conditions in different parts of Mexico. So yes, the documentary has the objective of telling these stories, sharing these stories, and of exploring the, the daily life of a journalist that decides to keep doing his job or her job, what the aggression has, has meant for them, for their lives, for their families, and why, And I'm just asking them, why is it important to keep doing what they're doing? This is a case of a photojournalist that was attacked. And this is this was in a context of a protest, so for us it was very important to also to portray a story of a journalist working in, in protests and demonstrations and what happened to him. The 1st
1: of September of 2013, almost a year after Peña took office, there was a march to the Monument a la Revolución They arrested a lot of people that day. They were returning from the march. When they were almost to the metro, the police went in and took them out. They started to hit many of them. They gathered them outside of the station, about 13 people. De la estación por favor uno por uno please name one by one one by one please name the police started to come after us I'm trying to run but he kicked my leg I said I was pressed he pressed relax relax Tranquilo.
5: Gustavo independent they
1: taking me because I was recording
5: tuvieron por estar grabando there's another case of Edwin Canche, which is from Yucatan. This is a, a story of a journalist who was threatened also by a local authority and was put to jail as well. And he was beaten up, so he was physically attacked. The mayor told
3: me, I'm tired of the press exposing my administration, and so that they could learn not to get involved with me, I'm going to make you an example. He quickly gave the order. Six police held me, another shoved me and hit me.
4: When they locked me up,
3: they took my equipment, my camera, my telephone, but they didn't notice that I had a walkie-talkie. I got the radio and started to
4: talk. I
3: started to transmit, inform anyone that was listening. It was my brother. They made their way to the city hall and joined 30 to 35 other people that called for my liberation. Who beat him? So you're denying that he was beat? What are you afraid of? Why do you harm the press? Please, tell me, sir. After beating me, they let me go, but not before threatening me. From then on, that was it. My life changed drastically.
5: Human rights organizations and inter- international and national organizations have a huge role to play in this moment in Mexico because we are kind of the referees of the whole game. No? We are the ones that are responsible of calling out the state and the government in what they're doing wrong, in what they're not doing, and in what they say they're doing but they're not. So, like regarding change, I think just NGOs and or, and human rights organizations they themselves uh, are the ones that are pushing forward certain changes regarding the law, regarding uh, regarding vis- uh, making visible certain cases. I mean, we have. We have risen the level of, of the political cost uh, when, you, when, when a journalist is attacked, right? So what we have done is like, it's not as easy as before to commit a crime against, against a journalist. That's what I like to think, no? It's not as, they, they cannot get away with it because there are so many eyes and they are under like a microscope i we we believe that they are like under under this microscope or under under a lens that that will not uh, stop calling out things as they are and will not stop calling crimes against human rights uh, regardless of of the threats regardless of the pressures regardless of of the um, of the closing of certain spaces that we in NGOs experience, for example, no, so you cannot easily talk about these things in the major TV channels, but we are not going to stop doing it just because they're doing that, no? Another thing that I can say is that I think because of the violence, the nonstop violence and the such a structural violence against uh, communicators and against journalists, there has been a change of logic within the journalists themselves, you know? I mean, the, they have been almost forced to change the way they think and the way they do their jobs. So the, the idea of, an, of, of having a, like an exclusive story has changed completely because you risk yourself so much that you cannot, you cannot work in that way, no? So you have to start working with other peers and making like solidarity Bond with other people in the in the media groups. So what I believe and what is uh, what gives us hope, hope is that people are start uh, journalists and human rights defenders are are starting to change the logic of what it means to to be a journalist in a country like Mexico. And another thing that I think uh, is pushing forward changes is the alternative media groups. These groups that don't do not need the money of anyone to keep doing their jobs because they believe in it and they will still do it and they will like have three or four jobs apart for of of uh, the of the jobs that they do in this in, in for the for the media because they believe that they that the role they they play in society now is so important that they won't they won't stop now and i also think that there is an important sense of prevention in journalists, no? What, I, what can a journalist do before he or she goes into a high risk area? So people are starting to think, now I have to take into consideration certain measures, certain protocols to be able to do the job I do. So I think that gives, gives us hope. But I don't see a change in the, in, in, regarding the government or the state. I think that things are going to get worse. I mean, the spaces are going to be every year or every time they're going to be less, and there' are going, they're, they're going to be less and less spaces. It's not a very bright scenario ahead, but the only thing we can do is still do our jobs. Finally, I would like to say that an aggression against a journalist sends a message to the society as a whole, you know. It sends a message to the whole country. And the worst thing is this message carries something that brings a lot of fear and that uh, prevents people from wanting to, to go out there and tell the stories and write and to be journalists and to be communicators. So I think that is the... The harshest thing of the violence against against journalists. Of course, we know that Mexico. I mean, it's a country we live in a country where uh, there. I mean, there is violence against all types of citizens, but we believe that the violence against journalists is particularly uh, problematic because of the role journalists journalists play in a society you know? they play a fundamental role in building democracy in in sustaining the very weak democracy that we live in so that's why we have to pay attention to to these cases and to this reality you know?
2: you're listening to making contact If you visit our website at radioproject.org, you can find a link to the rest of Article 19's documentary, Estado de Censura, State of Censorship. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at making underscore contact.
0: You're listening to Making Contact. Next, Andrew Stelzer speaks with Courtney Raj from the Committee to Protect Journalists. They just put out their annual list of the top 10 most censored countries in the
6: world.
4: Courtney, welcome to Making Contact.
6: Thank you so much.
4: So I'm going to just shoot down the list here for our listeners, spoiler alert. Uh, Starting with number 10 on this list, we have Cuba, Burma, China, Iran, and Vietnam. Number five is Azerbaijan, then rounding out the top five are Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, and number one is Eritrea. So I know it varies country by country, but in general terms, how does government censorship work? Are there techniques that we see over and over, particularly shared by these 10 countries, or does or it vary by region?
6: Um, No, I would say that there are a set of common denominators in terms of how censorship takes place. So um, despite all of the new methods of censorship and surveillance that are possible through technology, the countries on this list represent places where jailing journalists and prohibiting the foreign press, restricting the local independent press, and engaging in pre-print censorship are still used. And then, of course, we see in the online space, there are a couple of different techniques. There is the most extreme technique taken by North Korea and Eritrea, which is to completely limit internet access. But in fact, that's not the most common form of censorship. I think more common is to censor access to particular websites or platforms, um, as we see in Saudi Arabia and in um, you know, Iran, for example, um, and in Vietnam, and then also through um, targeted hacking of journalists, surveillance of journalists, and the expansion of already restrictive media legislation into the online sphere. So I think those are some of the things that we see in common across these countries.
4: So let's start with the winner, number one, or maybe I should say the loser, a country I don't think we hear a lot about in the U.S., Eritrea. What's the situation there?
6: Well, the situation is really bad, and that's probably one of the reasons you don't hear much about it is because there really are no independent journalists or journalists left to speak of there. There's no access to the foreign press, and even reporters who work for state-run news outlets live in constant fear of arrest. Eritrea is uh, Africa's leading jailer of journalists, with 23 journalists behind bars. And in addition to that, it has severely limited internet access, with uh, less than 1% of its population even going online.
4: Okay, so going down the list, uh, I think our audience has probably heard a good amount about North Korea... Iran, China, maybe even Saudi Arabia and and Burma, but uh, also on this list, Ethiopia and Azerbaijan.
6: Yes, um, Ethiopia is the fourth most censored country in the world and is also one of the African continent's leading jailers of journalists. Um, What's, I think, particularly disturbing about Ethiopia, however, is that it is such a strong U.S. ally and particularly on um, both the anti-terrorism fight, as well as with respect to development assistance. And so what we see is that um, this use of anti-terrorism and anti-state charges has been used to jail independent journalists there. And Azerbaijan is also uh, extremely problematic because it has benefited from the European Olympic Games, which it is hosting this summer, and it hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. It held the rotating presidency of the Council of Europe, And yet Azerbaijan has eight journalists in jail, and the press freedom situation is deteriorating there tremendously. And it's very problematic that there's been essentially no international repercussions for this deterioration.
4: And what about the countries who are not on this list? Uh, What kind of trends are we seeing? And are there countries that are getting dramatically worse or, or even dramatically better at providing freedoms or protections for journalists?
6: Well, unfortunately, I think it's easier to start with the worst category. And so there are are a few um, countries that don't show up on this list because they're so bad, there's so little or no independent media, and they are so tightly closed that we can barely even get information about the conditions for journalists. Those are countries such as Belarus, Equatorial Guinea, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. Um, On the other hand, We see Cuba has improved uh, somewhat on this list. It still shows up on the list. So we don't, you know, we can't give it too much credit, but we have seen a steady decline in its position on the list. And so now it's at number 10, which means that we're hopeful it will drop off um, with the improvement of relations with the US, the, you know, gradually, we hope, uh, lessening restrictions on the press. But I think that the critical thing to remember is that we need to see action and not just words. Similarly with Myanmar, Burma, this is a country that has improved, um, as you know, that's going through what we hope is a democratic transition, but it has a long way to go. We see in Myanmar that journalists have been sentenced to prison with hard labor and that there have been journalists killed while trying to report, and that um, Official Secrets Act are used to threaten and imprison journalists.
4: What's your response uh, when you hear someone here in the U.S. talk about uh, the media is controlled by the government or by corporations? Are, are things even on the same scale uh, here in terms of, you know, do we have a free press, uh, especially when you compare... To countries like like Burma and, and Saudi Arabia are those complaints and criticisms valid in a place like the US
6: well first of all I think that it's less about do we have a free press or not and I think it's more about a continuum in terms of the amount of freedom that the press enjoys Similarly to democracy, right? It's not it's not like are you or are you not a democracy? It's about where are you on that spectrum. I think that there are some serious threats to journalism in the United States that also have repercussions on press freedom around the world. And specifically that relates to surveillance. So, you know, the fact that the United States engages in this mass surveillance um, as well as targeted surveillance of journalists, and there are even been reports of hacking of media outlets. Um, the AP phone records um, being hacked, etc. You know, this undermines the basic platforms that journalists need to do their work, and it undermines the U.S. and its normative power abroad. So, you know, it's really important in countries like Vietnam or like Saudi Arabia or Azerbaijan where there is no accountability of the government to their own citizens, but there may be some ability for allies to pressure each other. So when the U.S. undermines its normative authority and its ability to, you know, play that press freedom advocate, it loses its ability to influence um, other countries that it may be allied with. And so then those journalists there and and the people there are, are even worse situation because not only are they under attack with no mechanism to influence their own government, but they've also lost the power, you know, that traditional defenders of press freedom could offer.
4: Courtney Raj is Advocacy Director with the Committee to Protect Journalists. We will link to their new report detailing the 10 most censored countries at our website, radioproject.org. Courtney, thanks so much for speaking with us.
6: My pleasure. Thanks so much. And that's
0: it for this edition of Making Contact. We'd like to take a moment to remember radio reporter Sole Belanga from the city of Monkoto in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Belonga's deep commitment to informing his community showed when radio station Monkoto Soso Alel had been off the air for several weeks because of a broken transmitter. In an effort to continue reporting, Belonga would walk through the town every morning and announce the local news using a megaphone. Belonga's life was taken while walking home on April 16, 2015. To find out more about the Committee to Protect Journalists, Article 19, or to get our podcast, visit our website at radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. The Making Contact team includes Lisa Redman, Andrew Stelzer, George Lavender, Laura Flynn, and Quan Booth. I'm Jasmine Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.